0: Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. We're joined by Dr. Justin Hillhouse today as we continue our series, Knowledge is Power, Five Doctrines Every Man Should Know. Last week, we begun our series on God the Father and the Trinity. And this week, we're gonna be reading through Colossians chapter two as we look at the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. All right, hey, y'all give it up for Sloan's there, yeah? All right. Hey, uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look in verses 9 through 10. Colossians 2, verses 9 through 10. Now, we're going to jump around a lot in Scripture today, so that's going to kind of be our foundational verse. So if you have uh, notes or you're taking notes, um, we're going to blaze through a lot of Scripture today because... We're in a series called "Knowledge is Power." Knowledge is power, and there are five doctrines that we are going to cover. So, knowledge is power. Five doctrines every man should know. And last week, Dr. Caden kind of opened us up uh, to this to this series, and <clears throat> we talked about God the Father. We talked about God the Father. Not only did we talk about God the Father, but he also kind of went through the Trinity, and he started with. God the Father, and then he kind of touched upon the other aspects of the Trinity. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're just going to talk about the rest of the Trinity. He talked about God the Father, and today we are going to talk about God the Son. Now, doctrine, when we use that word... Doctrine around church, uh, a lot of us, we kind of understand the concept, but we don't really know what it means. And so just the very word doctrine, when you say, hey, we're going to talk about doctrine, what does that mean? Doctrine simply means uh, scriptural or biblical teaching on a theological truth. Okay, that's what doctrine doctrine is. It is biblical teaching on a theological truth. Truth. Now you're probably asking, hey Justin, how does this help me in my day-to-day life? You might be a CFO, you might be a teacher, you might be a mechanic, and you're sitting there and you're wrenching on a car, right? And you're going, how in the world does this help me in my life today? How does this help me in my marriage? How does this help me with my kids? Well, very simply put, what we believe, okay, what we believe in is going to be expressed by our actions. And so at our very core, what we believe about scripture, what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus is going to be expressed in our actions. And so when we talk about doctrine, we're talking about the very core of what we believe in. And so if what we believe in is going to be expressed, then we need to make sure what we believe in is the truth. Are y'all with me on that? We need to make sure that what we believe in is the truth. And let me give you an example of this. uh, R.C. Sproul was interviewing uh, a Muslim convert, this dude that uh, had been following in the Muslim faith, and then he converted to Christianity. And in this interview, R.C. Sproul uh, and this Muslim were talking, and the conversation eventually turned To doctrine. And as they are talking, this uh, former Muslim made some fascinating statements uh, about doctrine. And to summarize, he basically said this He said, The goal of the Muslim teaching is to try and debunk the Christian view and belief of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as well as try to debunk the the reliability of Scripture and the doctrine or the teaching of man. And he said this, and I quote, Basically, the Muslim teaching is to try to end the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of man. Once those have been debunked, then it is easy to get a Muslim convert. And so, folks, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about God is so important and at the very core and root of our faith. And so, last week, John Mark talked about God the Father, and then he touched upon the Trinity. And this is a very foundation, uh, a foundational theological truth that we have. And so as we kind of go through this doctrine of the Trinity, John Mark talked about God the Father. And so how great it is for us to talk about today, God the Son, whom we know as who? Jesus Christ, that's right. And so this week, of course, we are celebrating the life of Jesus Christ. We're celebrating and remembering what Jesus did, not only 33 years here on this earth, but also what he did on Thursday night, what he did on Friday, and then Sunday morning. And so when we talk about God the Son or Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the person of Christ is traditionally concerned with two things, the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. When we talk about Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Jesus Christ, we're talking about His humanity, and we are also talking about His deity. In other words, we're talking about Him being born of a virgin, living a sinless life, the miracles that He performed, the titles of that are applied to Jesus, even as he was here on earth. And so there are many different ways to address uh, uh, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So we're going to kind of just look at three aspects. And we're going to go through this fairly quickly. And so afterwards today, I'll be more than happy to stick around and... To continue to talk with you about the doctrine of Christ. But let's look real quick at just kind of three different aspects in our, our theme verse that we're kind of pulling from. John Mark mentioned last week, and that is Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And it says this For in Christ all the fullness of the, what does it say? Deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Really, verse 9 is where we want to focus on. For all, what does it say? Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so we see three aspects on the personhood of who Jesus Christ is. And so the first thing we see is that uh, we see the humanity of Jesus Okay, we see the humanity of Jesus. Jesus has human nature and was born here in bodily form. In other words, he is 100% human. Okay, Jesus is not 50% God and 50% human. Jesus is 100% human flesh and blood. Jesus is born into this world in Matthew 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Every year around December, what do we celebrate? Christmas. We celebrate Jesus' birth. Why? Because Jesus entered into this world as every other one of us does, right? (laughs) Right. We all came through a woman. And so therefore, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. But not only was Jesus born just like we were, but Jesus is also held to the same standards that we are held to. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, And when the time was set and had fully come, God sent His Son, Born of a woman. So right there. So as we kind of go through these scriptures, you're going to see them beginning to complement one another. So he's born of a woman. We've already mentioned that, right? And now what does it say? And he was born under the law. He was born under the law the law. You say, Justin, why is this so important? This is important because the same standards that God has held his creation to, the same standards that he's held you to, that he's held me to, that he's held the guy out there on 121 right now driving, the same standards that God holds all of us to are the same standards that Jesus Christ was held to. And we're going to see that a little bit later on. But the same standards that God has for us, which is perfection, Jesus was required to hold those standards as well. He did not get any advantage. He didn't get any passes. He didn't get any extra credit. The same standards, which is perfection that God holds each one of us to, Jesus was required to hold to as well. As a matter of fact, I would say that Jesus may have been born to much of a disadvantage. He wasn't born... As uh, uh, in a big palace. He was born where? Huh. In a stable. He was born next to a cow. <laughs> Jesus uh, was raised not among the rich or the wealthy or even the middle class. Jesus was raised in, in pretty much a poor family. His father was, uh, was a carpenter at the time. And he picked up uh, a carpentry and he worked with his hands and and his labor was not. Uh, my dad always told me, he goes, you know, you always uh, majority of the time, you always get paid more for your brain than not your back, right? And so, uh, what did he have to do? He had to go out there, and man, he he had to labor. He had to work hard. He didn't get a cushy air conditioned office desk job. So I would say that maybe even Jesus's upbringing might have been uh, might have been a little a little rougher. Things may have been a little bit more skimpy when it came to the dinner table and they maybe had just enough to feed everybody and maybe not plenty. I don't know, but we do know this, is that Jesus was held to the same standards as we are and he didn't get any advantages in that. So Jesus was born of a woman. Jesus was held to the same standards as we are. Jesus was also tempted just like we are. He was tempted, just like we are. In Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen, it says this: "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin." We sometimes may think Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't. Or never experienced what we have gone through. Especially when it comes to temptation and fighting that off. What does scripture say? Jesus was tempted in every single way. He's experienced what you are experiencing now. He's experienced what you have experienced. He's experienced what you are going to experience. That fight and that battle with sin. Jesus Christ has experienced that. He's been through it. He knows what you're going through. He can identify with you right where you are at. Isn't that great? Our God is not some lofty God that's off and just kind of gives us a bunch of rules and says, hey, good luck. No, the man that we worship, the God that we worship has been here. He has walked among us and get this. He has experienced the same things you have. I don't know about you, but that's kind of encouraging because Jesus knows. He gets it. I like it what it says. He empathizes. In other words, he gets he knows it. He doesn't sympathize, he empathizes. How does Jesus empathize? Because he's been through it. He knows. He says, Hey, listen, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know the emotions that you are experiencing. I know how hard it is. I've been there. I've done that. But he's also conquered it. Matthew 4, 1 through 3, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) He was hungry. I bet he was a little hangry. You all know what I'm saying? After 40 days and 40 nights of walking through the wilderness. And it is at his weakest physical point right there at that time that the devil came to him and began to tempt him. But Jesus has also experienced physical and emotional pain. Jesus was 100% human. And just like that, just as we have experienced emotional pain, just as we have experienced physical pain, Jesus has experienced that as well. John 19:1 through 3. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and then went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Jesus has experienced physical pain. I've always wondered, did Jesus ever stub his toe? (laughs) I don't know. What do you think? How many of you think he did? How many of you think he didn't? All right, I don't. Here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know if he did. That's a question I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. Jesus, did you stub your toe when you were in, <laughs> when you were on Earth? I don't know, but I do know this: is that he did experience physical pain. Is that he was beaten? He was flogged. He probably, when he was working uh, with all of that wood, there as a carpenter, he probably got a few splinters, and he probably went, "Ooh, ah, man." Got a splinter. He experienced pain, but not only did he experience physical pain, Jesus also experienced emotional pain. If you remember the story about Lazarus when he died, when Jesus heard the news, the shortest verse in the Bible is what? Jesus Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. Jesus experienced. Emotional pain. When somebody who he loved was lost, Jesus still was emotionally affected. I've also often wondered this. Does Jesus cry with me when I'm, when I'm crying? Does Jesus cry with me? Is what I'm going through, is Jesus right now up in heaven and he sees what I'm going through? He sees the loss. He sees the pain. Is Jesus crying with me? I'd like to think he is. When Jesus showed up and Lazarus was dead, mom walked out and said, hey, if you had only been here, Mary said, if you had only been here, you could have saved him. I wonder if Jesus cried with her. I wonder if Jesus comforted her. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And then you can continue to read on on why Jesus cried over the city, but know and understand this, Jesus saw the city and, and he began to cry because he knew what was going to happen. He was experiencing the emotion. Um, y'all remember that old film, the Jesus film? And Jesus walked around all the time with blue eyes, long blonde hair, and he was always like somber the whole time. You'd be like, everyone's excited and Jesus is standing there. I don't believe that's how Jesus was. Do you? I don't believe that's how he was. He laughed. He cried. Jesus felt emotion. And he expressed that emotion. Jesus is even referenced... As being human by his own disciples after his resurrection. If you look in Acts chapter 2 verses 20 through 24, it says this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. These are his disciples, now apostles, that are going out telling people about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, and they can testify. We spent three years with Jesus. We know this guy. Not only did we see him, but we heard him, we watched him, we touched him, we, we did a whole bunch of just stuff with him, and guess what? This guy, he is a man. The guy that you know and the guy that we know, this Jesus, he is A man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man, okay, this man was handed over to you by God, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you can read the rest of that passage right there. So when you look at Scripture and when you look at Jesus Christ and who he is, Scripture definitively tells us that Jesus Christ is and was a man, that he was a man. But then we see the second aspect of this doctrine, and that is this, that Jesus was not only a 100% man, but Jesus was also 100% God. Jesus Christ is deity. He is the deity. Christ was not just born 100% human, but he was also born A hundred percent God. Look back at Colossians uh, 2.9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The unification of God in human flesh is known as the hypostatic union. Everyone say hypostatic union. It doesn't matter what's going on today. Just throw out hypostatic union and people will think you're smart. All right. You might be, you know, in a business meeting or whatever and just say hypostatic union. And people go, what? Uh, Never mind. It was in men's Bibles. Just use it. You'll sound smart. All right. But that's known as the hypostatic union. And that is where God and flesh comes together. And it is Jesus, God incarnate. John chapter 1. Verses 1 and then 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the deity, okay? And then jump down to verse 14, it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's where God the Son, Jesus, put on flesh and came and lived with us. Look, it says this, we have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. But when discussing the deity of Christ, we are discussing His lordship. That's what we're discussing. When we're talking about the deity of Christ, we're talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ while maintaining the physical Flesh while maintaining the human flesh. Jesus was not just human, but he was also still God. And because Jesus was God, he still demanded the respect that was due him. Have you thought about that? Jesus came, and yes, He was a man, but He was also God. And so as God, He is Lord and King. And as Lord and King, a Lord and a King deserves the respect and the honor that is due Him. And we see that happening all throughout Scripture. Christ is addressed as King. Sixteen times in the Gospel, Jesus is addressed as King of the Jews. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Jesus is born. He is just a little baby. And here these grown adults, these wise men, these magi. They show up and they say, where is the king of the Jews? And then look at what it says. We saw his star when it rose and have come to what? To worship him. How many of you have been to the hospital in the... uh in the labor and delivery wing and people walk in with gifts and begin worshiping a baby. Have you ever seen that? No. It doesn't happen. But it only happens to the one that is born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so even in Christ's infancy, the magi show up for the sole purpose, the sole purpose to worship this kid. Can you believe that? If I am Mary and Joseph, I am standing there and I'm going, oh, my goodness. Can you believe this? What do you do as parents as like your baby is just laying there? You know, at this point in time, we think Jesus was maybe one or two. He's standing there and these grown men are bowing down, worshiping this child saying, oh, hell, king of the Jews. Can you believe that? Just a picture in my mind. He is addressed as king of the Jews. All the other times this phrase was used was during the crucifixion of Jesus. Even during his crucifixion, they might have used it in thinking that they were mocking Jesus. But could you imagine Jesus sitting there? He's probably thinking, yeah, it's true. I am the king. I am the king. And I am allowing you to do this. But not only that, but the phrase king of the of the Jews uh, is used, but also the king of Israel is referred to Christ all throughout all four Gospels. John chapter 1, verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Not only do people call him King, but they also address Jesus. As Lord, Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Look at this. A man with leprosy shows up. He gets on his knees. He bows down before him and he says, Lord, Lord, this man is giving him the respect and the honor that is due him. Even while on earth, in human flesh, Christ was worshipped. Christ was worshipped. If you look in Matthew chapter 2, what happened? We talked about this just a few minutes ago. The magi came to Herod. They said, hey, where is the king of the Jews? We are here to worship him. Jump down a few verses in Matthew two eleven, and it says this. On coming to the house, they saw the child Jesus with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped Him. And then they presented their gifts to Him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that was when Jesus was a child. When Jesus was a man, Peter had just walked on water and Jesus calmed the storm, it says. And when you look in Scripture in Matthew 14, 32-33, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, what does it say? Worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They worshiped Him. Now, this being Holy Week, I love this next passage. This next passage sends chills down my back. And I often wonder, I, I just wish I was a fly on a tree when I saw this, when this happened. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is fixing to be betrayed by Judas. And look at this in 4 through 7 of John 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, Who is it that you want? Remember, this is Judas showing up with, with, uh, with, with some guards, and they're going to arrest Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing that this has happened, he... Comes out and he says, Who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell on the ground. They drew back and they fell on the ground. We're here to arrest Jesus. And Jesus walks out, and he says, I am he. And they drew back, and they fell on the ground. If I was that guard, I'd be awful nervous, wouldn't you? Right? For Jesus to walk out and say, I'm the guy you're looking for. And then everybody steps back, and they fall to the ground. Why? Because that is the king. That is Lord. And that is who Jesus is. He is not just 100% human, but he is 100% God. And even while walking through and walking on this earth, he still commanded and demanded the respect and the honor any king and lord should have. Even during his arrest, people got on their knees. Yeah? Even during his arrest, people got on their knees. And so when you look at it, the third aspect of the personhood of Christ is this. It is the incarnation of Christ. So we've seen Jesus as a human. We've seen Jesus as God and as Lord and as a deity. So now we see those things come together as the incarnation of Christ. And so we see these things put together. We see that Jesus is God truly in flesh, in Exodus chapter three verse fourteen, it says this: God said to Moses, "I am who I am." This is what you are to say to the Israelites: "I am has sent me to you." Remember, Moses is standing there, is in front of the burning bush, and he says, "Man, who do I say? Who do I say is is sending me?" And God says, "Say I." Am sent you. Now jump forward to John 8 58. What does it say? Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus right there declares he is God in human flesh. Jesus, who are you? I'm gonna tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. If you look in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. What, what did we say a few moments ago? When Jesus came to this earth, He did not get any extra advantages. He was on the same playing field and played by the same rules that we did. And what does it say there in Philippians in verse 6? Who being in the very nature of God and being who in the very nature of God. John chapter 10 verses 30 through 33. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Well, what did Jesus say back in John? I am. I am. And when Jesus said I am, all every Jewish kid and adult knew what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am God. But not only that, Jesus is also claims and shows that he is eternally pre-existent. Matthew 13, 34 through 35. Jesus spoke all these things to, to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So fulfilled was the spoken word through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden Since the creation of the world. Jesus was here before creation. He will be here after creation. Psalm 110.4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are the priest forever in the order of Mechizedek. So kind of as we wrap up and as we conclude. Why is the deity of Jesus So important. Why does it matter that Jesus is fully God and he is fully human? There are three reasons why. Reason number one only someone who is an infinite God could bear the full weight and penalty of sin. Only someone who is fully and infinitely God can bear the weight. sin. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20, the one who sins is the one who will die. You like that? The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. What is Ezekiel talking about? He is saying that you will pay for your own sins. You got that? Every person here is going to pay for the sins that you commit. Not for what others do, but you are only responsible for you. Are you with me on that? You are only responsible for you, and so you will only be held accountable to the sins that you commit. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. And so let's just establish is that we all have sin. We have all fallen short and we all need a savior. And there's only one man that can bear the weight of all of our sins. And his name is Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Only an infinite God can carry the weight of our sins. Reason number two, this is important, is that salvation is only from the Lord. Salvation is only from Jesus Christ. The whole message of Scripture surrounds Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins, to save mankind and to bring God to himself or to bring you to God. That is why Scripture is here for us. That is why God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, is so that we may have a relationship with God, not only here on this earth, but also into eternity. I like what 1 Peter 3.18 says. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's why Jesus came. That's why he suffered. He suffered to bring you to him. And he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Why did Jesus come? Number one, he came because only an infinite God could bear the weight and the penalty of sin. He came because salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ. And then third and finally, Only somebody who is fully God can be the mediator between God and man. He is our mediator. And guess what? He's been in both worlds. He has been up in heaven. Guess what? He has also been on earth. And he is the mediator and he understands and he gets it. I like what 1 Timothy 2.5 says. It says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. I just kind of want to throw this out there as, as we wrap up. And I know I kind of rapid fired uh, through all of this. But at, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe truly He is the Son of God? Do you believe that truly He is 100% man and also 100% God? Do you believe that He came, that He lived a perfect life, that He was falsely accused, put on the cross, died, and then rose three days later for you and for your sins? Do you believe that? And if you do, man, I'm thankful. But there's some of you here in this room, there might be some of you listening on the podcast that, man, you don't know who Jesus Christ is. You've heard of him. You kind of know about him. But you have never said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and I want you to be my Lord. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Get that right. Get that right. Just take time and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I'm going to ask you into my heart. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And then I'm going to make you Lord of my life. And I'm just simply going to follow you the rest of my days. For a majority of us here in this room, you're probably a Christian. I'm just going to kind of go ahead and make that assumption here. majority of you here in this room are Christians. And for you, Jesus Christ is your Savior. But I tell you what, I go back to that passage where Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. He says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And even the guys that were there to arrest him got on their knees. They fell down. Man, guys, is, is, for you, Jesus might be your Lord, but may, or might be your Savior. But my question is, is, is he your Lord? Man, do you get on your knees before him? Do you say, hey, I'm going to follow you, and because you are Lord, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow your commands. So gentlemen, my challenge to you is this. If you know Jesus, don't let him just be your savior, but make him your Lord. Get on your knees, begin to bow before him, because scripture says there will be one day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Men, I'll challenge you. Let's go ahead and just get used to getting on our knees before Jesus now. Yeah? Let's just go ahead and get used to getting on our knees and bowing before him. Let's pray. And as we pray, let's just do that. Let's just, if you can, let everybody get on your knees. Let's get before the king and let's end today in prayer. Man, God, we love you. And God, we thank you for this day. God, we come here today before you on bended knee, giving Jesus Christ all the praise and all the glory that he deserves. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for obeying God the Father and following his every command. Father, for sending your son Jesus and Jesus for coming and for dying on the cross for our sins that you didn't have to do. And so Jesus, we kneel before you today and we say thank you and we give you all praise and all the glory that you deserve. And Father, as we go out into this world, may we be salt, may we be light, may we share the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. Lord Jesus, may we not just make you our Savior, but may we make you our Lord. Jesus, may we be salt in this bland world. May we be light in this dark world. And may we be your ambassadors to those around us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Y'all have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.